Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learned to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! Dave Alred, where does today's podcast find you? In Brisbane, doing a few little bits and pieces. Went to the golf range this, this afternoon just to try a thought that I had. Been working with Molinari distance-wise and the Reds prior to, to Saturday night against the Brumbies. So it's been pretty hectic up to there. Wow. Um, now getting ready for the next chapter. Okay, well, that sounds good. Sounds like at least you're uh, being actively engaged in, uh, in, in, in <laughs> yeah, which is always a good thing. In something, I guess I wanted to get straight into it and just ask you first of all, you know, what is resiliency? You know, um, it's really interesting because golf. If you want in a game where you need resilience, I mean, all sports you need resilience, uh, essentially, because things aren't going to go your way, and it's how you respond to that event. And I think the acid test of resilience is: can I have another go? And even though I've just failed or somebody scored against me or whatever and totally commit. Now, a lot of people, they kind of will go through the motions of trying again, but they're kind of half expecting to fail. Yeah. And, and, and what they do is they don't commit because really they're trying to avoid failure. Right. They're not really trying to achieve. And, and I think there is a kind of resilience barometer that you, you need to, to look at. And I think it's really important that when you talk to sports people or anybody in life, that actually is, you know, can you, can you commit yourself to try again with everything you've got, even though you've just failed, mm. and even though you may fail again? Right. There is a, a kind of a subset, I think, with resilience is... You know, people don't like failure and society today is very intolerant of failure. And in fact, if it wasn't for failure and scandal and all the rest of it, I don't think anybody was selling in newspapers. But <laughs> be that as it may, we're in an area where it's not cool to fail. The ethos of hard work and commitment and all of that is a little bit, we're, we're not really interested in that. We'd rather be cool and successful and talented and effortless. And, and I think that flies 
right in the face of really trying to get people to develop because they they get scared that they're going to fail. And so right. what they do is try not to fail. So therefore, they can't fully commit. Dave, do you think that there are similarities between, you know, your definition of resilience in a sporting, you know, that, that elite sporting environment and everyday life? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the other thing is that, you know, I don't think that any failure is absolute. So how can you, you say that? Right, okay, so, you know, I, you know, I went into the Olympic trials, I, I went into the heats, I didn't make the team, but I swam a personal best. Am I a failure? Mm. You know, I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm successful. Mm. I, yeah. I, I threw everything at it, but I didn't make it. Right. And I think that makes you successful. But the headline is you didn't make it. Right. Do you, do you see what I'm getting? And, and the other thing is, I think that people, when they're reviewing a failure, they look at what's, what went wrong first. Yeah. They don't look at what went right. Right. And I think that, you know, that, that there isn't a total failure. You know, I'm coaching, you know, for some people, quite a complex, complicated skill. Yeah. And, and, and when they, you know, clearly they either kick the ball, they want it to spiral and they want it to, to slightly curve right footed from left to right and reverse on it. And they can see it doesn't do that. Mm. And straight away, you can see the shoulders drawing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Right. Posture was good. Posture, great. It could be a little bit better if you'd stretch your neck up a fraction. Okay. All that happened there is that your shoulder turned and it got on the outside of the foot. So if you keep your shoulder forward, then you won't extend the outside of the foot. And then you kind of, you brush aside the subjective um, failure or success. And in fact, in golf, when I work with the golfers, I ban the word good and bad. Mm. There's no such thing as a good shot and there's no such thing as a bad shot. What we really look at is how much did that shot match your intention? Huh. Because right. if you play the shot and you got a seven iron and you want a nice soft fade, and it comes down and it bounces on the green and it just trickles over the brow and then rolls all the way down. So now you've got a 40 meter chip. Was that a bad shot? And yes, it was result wise. And a lot of people, you know, go bananas and oh no, and we get the effing and blinding and all the rest of it. What we don't get is that was a really good shot. Mm. Yeah, you know, that matched my intention. Mm. Now, if it matches my intention, and it's and we're in trouble, then it's a decision, not a technical term, right? And so straight away, you have the ability to separate those two. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I just wonder, are we making a, a generations of kids say, and budding sports people less resilient, because we give them participation awards? So hey, well done, you came second. Good on you champ. I was in education yeah. and education is, is, is undervalued profession and all the mistakes in education, you know, there's loads of money on the probation service, loads of money on all this, but if they actually put it back into teachers and have smaller classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all those things so that kids felt a part of belonging instead of one out of 35 and nobody gives right. a toss about me, that kind of stuff. Prevention better than cure. But 
if you have that, what I don't like about education now, and I can see it coming through, is the out of assessment. So if I'm if I'm assessing somebody, I said right, and and even the the mark has got a hidden uh, a hidden meaning. So if I say, well, okay, that was. So what's the hidden message with that? You're pretty ordinary. And if I'm nine out of 10, I'm pretty cool, all right? Regardless of how difficult or anything else that the, 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 the test was, what we really should be saying is, have you got better than you were right. last week? Regardless of whether you're top of the class, bottom, whatever. And the other thing is, you should look at what you get. So right you against first. you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, me against myself. Mm. Mm. And then you can have more winners. I know that partition, I, I understand your issue about the partition, you know, turn up and fall down and you get a medal. I, I, I agree with that. But if they're motivated in the right way, what would be awesome would be that on sports day, you know, our class of 31 yeah. children, okay, all ran the 1500 meters. And we had 29 personal well, bests. Imagine that. You know, you know but, but that's, that's kind of, that's my dream of how we should yeah. be looking at stuff. Yeah, I agree. And, and coming from a, a pretty, um, I guess, pedestrian running background prior to joining the army and the 1500 metres and the, and the 800 metres were my two favourite events. Just knowing how difficult those events are to shave off, especially as a 15-year-old, to shave off, you know, two or three seconds and... You know, imagine doing, you know, an 800 in, you know, sub two and, you know, things like that. It, there's just, you know, and a four minute and a four minute 1500 and then think about that, you know, because there's there's only another 100 meters for a four minute mile and you're 15 years old. But but those those um those numbers are huge chasms, aren't they? To And yet we look at that and we, and, you know, here yeah. I am, here I am as a 15 year old comparing myself to Herb Elliott. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. But having said that, you know, and I, I, can, I can accept that, but what you could is actually say, okay, so Herb Elliott did the four-minute mile, whatever it is. What was his split over 400 metres? Mm. Can we try and run that 400 yeah. metres split? Can you imagine? So that we get an appreciation. You know, now you yeah. could say, okay, right now, could you do and, – and then oh, you can say yeah. – I've got a. Bit I've got a great. I've there. got a great story for you, Dave. When I was in Dubai in 2014, I was doing. I was racing duathlon. There was a. I think he was a Moroccan Olympic runner who came out just to just to play, to, to and and it was a. It was a three kilometer run, a twenty kilometer ride, and then a three kilometer run to finish. And I sort of backed myself. I backed oh, myself cool. a little bit against this guy, and we we took off for the run. And there were some very good little athletes there, especially some UK athletes. But I, we took off on this run and I was matching him for the first kilometre. And I just remember listening to my breath and, and hearing it going, <laughs> and, and my footfall as well was completely different than this, than this guy who was a professional runner. His stride was completely different. His breathing was completely different. I'd never matched it with anyone of that calibre in my life. And I remember looking at my watch at the kilometre mark and it was like a three-minute, 20-something kilometre. And I remember saying to myself, <laughs> you have no business being at this – no, 3.35. I was like, you have no business <laughs> being here. And then, sure enough, 
I think I came, you know, almost second to the last at the end of that three kilometres. But we got on the bikes and within five kilometres I'd overtaken him. He looked like a panda bear riding a tricycle. He had no idea what he was doing. And it reminded me of the Einstein quote about the goldfish, you know, and specificity and all that sort of stuff. Like he had no he had no business being there. And it was the sum of all the parts. Like like I, I beat him in, in that overall yeah. But am I a better athlete than that guy? No, no, I'm not. Um, but I, I got to run with someone of that caliber, and it probably wasn't 320 now I think about it. That's ridiculously fast. But it was certainly fast enough that for me it was more than uncomfortable. Don't you kind of, you know, when you're running next to him. I was in awe. Um, you kind of go, yeah. Uh, yeah, you kind of go, I wonder how yeah. I could do this. Do, do you ever start, you know, and then – that's where this whole idea that I've tried to promote, that there's, there's actually no limits to your improvement at your right. margin. Now, your margin may be different. Everybody's got a different margin. And when you're at the margin, so if you're running as fast as you possibly can, and I'm saying, well, could we try and get a little bit quicker? We might suddenly say, well, actually, we're going to have to relax the shoulders a lot more. We're going to have to move the elbows. We're going to have to try and go heel toe and lengthen the stride. You start playing around with all of that. Then you start getting the incremental yeah. increases and it's at yeah. your margin. And that's where everybody can be a winner. And I'm not saying that in no, a corny sense. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying that, that I can look a kid in the eye or a player in the eye and I, I often say, even to the Reds that I'm working with, you know, they might do something or a, a particular kick or all the rest of it. And I said, I want you to take stock of that. Two months ago, okay, you couldn't kick what? anywhere near that. Now you're kicking further, more accurately, with 40% effort than you did mm. three months ago. And, and, and I find the worrying thing about today is I often have to stop and show them they've improved. Whoa, right. Is that because right? they're all, and no matter how good the person is, and that's why, you know, when I'm in, in, involved in golf, I just thought I'd, I might have had a book with me, but um, I, I have actually. I've got, I think this is one of them. This is, I mean, when I work with professional golfers, every single session I write out with all the results, mm. everything. So I know, are they better than previous self? Yeah. And I show them. And it makes such a difference when the facts say that yeah. I'm better. Not the coach says That's I'm the better because he thinks I'm better. Yeah, it's yeah. every time, every time. And then it's the skill of creating a practice that works on the mind. For, for all of his uh, faults... That's... I, sorry, Trent. For all of his faults, I think that's one thing that Lance Armstrong yeah. was very showed us was that data was king. It's just that he got to his data in yeah. a different way than what he probably should have. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying, Dave, around uh, data and, and working on the margins. It's the same principle that, uh, say, in the military, the small arms coaches use to to demonstrate an improvement in, in fire's yeah. accuracy and their application of fire and those sorts of aspects. And I think that when you have that sort of data, you're able to you're yeah. able to demonstrate it, even though they may feel less comfortable That's at the time, you know, as they're improving as well, because it might not feel natural yeah. to 
Bram, who's who's trying to stride out or relax his shoulders, but in fact his times are improving. And by the way, Bram, I think that uh, you miss every shot you don't take. So well done for giving it a crack anyway. Yeah, it, right it does remind that. me, Trent, of, and I'd love your opinion on this, Dave, you know, on, on the national counterterrorism team, you know, we would fire a lot of rounds out of a pistol every week. But one of the things that I used to enjoy doing the most was was just dry firing. So just going through the repetition of the draw sequence, breaking the line of sight, slowly pulling the trigger without any rounds even in the barrel and just practice, practice, practice. That dry practice. I wonder what's the what's the difference between, say, me doing that and a golfer standing there, you know, practicing his golf swing or if it's one and the same sort of thing, I guess. I often say to players, you play the shot within you. And what I mean by that is you feel it and, and, and it'll all feel different. So what, what, a lot of people do a swing and they go, yeah, a swing. And then they say, it's only practice. I said, no, 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 no. If it's only practice, it's a waste of time. It needs to be a rehearsal because you need to understand how that feels. And you need to understand the feel of how you're going to finish. And then you play the shot. And the good thing about playing the shot, and I've asked you this the other way around, is if you concentrate how you want to finish, which is a deliberate, what I call a red thought, and the green thought of the club coming down, the elbow into the hip, all the other little things, those go into your subconscious. Mm because it kind of lets you do it because you know you've got a kind of docking place up here as to where you finish. And I'd be interested to know that if your docking situation is where the gun, the pistol is actually at the target and at the point of squeezing it around, does everything else almost as a reaction become a green thought as long as you've meticulously done it correctly well, you'd, you'd love again. this then because the most powerful teaching and teaching and learning and, you know, this is, we could talk about this for hours, I'm sure, but the most powerful yeah. um, teaching moment for a coach, for someone firing, is when we do ball and dummy, when you pass someone the pistol over their shoulder and they don't know if there's a round in the chamber or not. And so they're going through their draw sequence and it may go off or it may not. And so what happens is you, you see the hidden built-in problem with the, with the person firing if it's got something to do with the flinch mechanism or whatever because, it's, because they're flinching and there's no round. And so they're doing this, but it never goes off. So you can see all these things you can't see right. Right. if they're firing a real round. You yeah. can see all the errors. It's yeah. exacerbated. Yeah. I can't do that with goal kicking. Which is a shame. Um, I could probably do it with goal. It's, well, it, you know, it's actually because... The impact of, on the ball is actually part of your balance. If I was to take the ball away, you'd yeah. fall over. Huh. You see, but what, what I do, though, is actually say, right, we do a thing called strike and line, and the guys have to kick it at less than 40% effort. And the reason why that is so demanding is that when you kick it, let's say, seven, 80% effort, the ball compresses. Are they still the aiming for the same? The are they still air. aiming for the goals at the same distance, though? So oh, they're yeah, just dropping yeah. it short. That's well, sometimes I don't even let them hit a goal. I just want strike and line. I just want you to hit it cleanly. Yeah. And you'd be amazed how less is more. Right. 
because so many people try and hit you just go to any driving range and people are smashing the hide out of the ball okay and then you get a 13 year old girl who actually is a golfer and she does nothing and and hit and out hits yeah and it's because the kinetic chain has put everything in there the body weights over impact center gravity over impact exactly the same with goal kicking so if you if you hit it hard you've got a big area where the ball compresses if you hit it at 40 percent, it's a much smaller area and if you don't hit it right it will go right. offline so it's a fantastic training mechanism to hit the ball softly now the problem with that is particularly in the rugby environment until you educate them that rugby is all about more and more and more right. hit it harder hit it you know run faster and all the rest of it so for somebody to pipe up and go actually we want less mm. is, is a bit culturally bit difficult and not only that they find they can't do it and yet they can do it if they try and smash it so there is the the difference and i'm saying you smash it you've got 10 kicks in you before you saw learn at 40 percent and you got 50 kicks in you yeah which is going to be the better kicker the 50 kicker right or the 10. love it hey hey dave i wanted to just circle back to something you said earlier and that is around rehearsals and and training for for a game we've got a saying you know it's quite simple really train as you would fight yeah. So, so what's the difference between practice and training and, and maybe how does repetition play into this? Great question. Right. It, yeah, th- that's a really good question. In fact, a repetition, I, I kind of breathe in because I hear the kind of the work ethic. Oh, it's really good, you know, hit 100 balls every day, you know, hit 107 irons and all the rest of it. And I'm going, well, actually, that's very noble. But actually, in the game, you get right. one shot. So actually, you've hit 100, 99 were a waste of time. And that's a bit heart, you know, breaking their hearts. But let me just try and explain something. I, I divide training into three areas. I, I look at repair, which is mm. technique. And if I had the technique, it's a bit like you're ghosting with the pistol and not getting the round off. I would actually have them kicking in a net so there's no outcome. So I can look at the technique because we try and steer it if we don't like what's happening and then you compromise mm. technique okay certainly in golf exactly the same certainly in rugby when you're trying to get them to kick with their opposite foot okay all of that kind of stuff so that's training sorry uh, repair then we got training which is repetition good old repetition but the issue is if i go to match first match for golf and goal kicking and, and a lot of sports is one shot, one opportunity. Would you agree? Yeah, when yeah. Yeah. AFL, you got one absolutely. shot. Absolutely, that's what Eminem, Eminem okay. taught us that. We know, one sh- <laughs> absolutely, right. So, one shot, one opportunity, and I'm feeling sick and blah, 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 and all the other <laughs> stuff that's in there. But if I want to go- do repetition, which everybody tells me is going to help me groove my swing, improve my muscle memory, which I kind of... Sometimes I worry because I don't actually think there is a thing called muscle memory. But anyway, that's another, another issue. If I do a 50, how many match shots do I get? One. One. If I did 10 sets of five and a little pause each time, so I take the club out or move the ball around or do something, 
and then do another five, I ten. get yeah. 10 match shots. And learning from zero, now that yeah. I haven't just done it, is the deepest learning. So I agree with repetition, but to a point, and I only let players five or six shots and then change it. Now, they often go, hey, I was just getting into it. And that's music to my ears because I want you to get into it again because it's the getting into it that's yeah. the learning, not blindly repeating it because I've done it a thousand times before. Yeah. And, and I think if you're, if, you're, if you're doing a hundred shots and there are a hundred of the wrong shots, then, the rep yeah, then yeah. you're just reinforcing the failure yeah. and don't even realise it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Very yeah, cool. there's 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 a lot in this uh, as well from uh, from you know a coaching perspective and a life perspective as well and yeah. you know you could apply this to even relationships you know you're talking about resilience before and you know we 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 you know many of us have had failed relationships and and those sorts of things but I trend uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. you know many of us have been there. I'm just, I'm just wondering, um, and I, I kind of touched on a question earlier around, you know, what are the, what are the life lessons here around resilience and uh, teaching and learning new behaviours or, or repair and repetition from a life perspective? Yeah, I think it's really, we're getting into an area now which you're kind of zoning in, which, which is really good in the, the, the crucial bit is huh. empathy. Wow. I need we, we, we should to have called work. this podcast Searching for Empathy because every every person every with a PhD and now with a uh, MBE, uh, every person every person yeah. with a PhD we talk to has been coming back no matter what their field they've been coming back to empathy, Dave. But 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 you see if I if if I want to teach you to mm. goal kick, for example, I have to understand your map of reality. Your worldview. Because yours is the only map that counts. Otherwise, I'm giving you instruction. It's a bit like going to the doctors and, and the doctor's a really good guy. I went in because I had earache and he took my appendix out. It was really good. I've only, I've only got a little tiny scar, you know, but I've still got fucking earache. You know, and, 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 that's, and, and that's, that's what happens when people just give, yeah. give, give. Instead of asking, the, right, how did you feel that went? Right, what, what part of the foot did you hit? Now I can start to coach you. And when you really mess up, what am I going to jump on? I'm going to straight away squash any feelings of, oh, no, I'm a failure and tell you what you did well. And I'm, I'm going to jump on that and displace that and get you feeling good about yourself. Somebody asked me. Can you give the best definition of a coach? And I thought about it a long time. And you get all these coaches, you know, oh, so-and-so's a really disciplinarian. You know, the players are scared of him. And that's really good. And I'm going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? The best coach, the best coach creates the environment that allows the player to totally commit to a process and fail with no loss of self-esteem. Oh, you know, Paul Ruse just jumped into my mind the minute you said that. Um, personal friend of mine wrote the forward for the book Commando Way, um, uh, Sydney Swans coach, and everyone who's ever worked with him have said that he's the guy that tells you 
what you're about to do is the hardest thing you'll ever do. And if you fail, that's cool. And they won a premiership. Yeah. Yeah, yeah abs- absolutely. And I think, and I, 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 even in failure, there's still something mm. good about it. That's why, because you, you need to build. I mean, I have this thing about the ugly zone. If, if, you, if you look at young kids, seven-year-olds, and well, sometimes even seven, they learn to fail. But, but lower than that, and you say to a young kid, a five-year-old, say, hey, guess what? Today, we're going to go out and play football. I'm going to teach you something you've never done before. The kid is so excited, hasn't got a clue. Hasn't got a clue. But it's an adventure. And why do they get in the ugly zone? Why do they throw themselves at it? Because they don't know any failure. And, and I, I tell the little, little anecdote thing, a little Freddie playing golf, you know, swings, misses, swings, misses, swings and hits, and <laughs> explodes with excitement because he's middle of the ball. And he's a golfer and he runs in, he says, Dad, I'm a golfer, you know, and all the rest of it. And you roll the thing 30 years on and the guy's playing his monthly medal and he's up there thinking, oh, shit, I hate this. I'm no good with a driver, you know, bang. And, and it's negative, negative. Hit it into the trees. Look, I told you, blah, blah, you know, and all of this. And it's suicidal. Yeah. yeah. So what's happened in the 30 years? What's gone yeah. wrong? So if you say to me, what am I trying to do with a 45-year-old? I said, I want him to act like a yeah. five-year-old. Wow. And go and jump the building yeah. for me. So if I say to you, you say to me, what do I do? I said, well, if I was to teach you to do a standing long jump in the front room and it's six feet and you could both do it and I'll teach you the technique of and the standing long jumps a massive metaphor for this, for commitment, because if you don't go to the point of no return, and you're falling, yeah. you won't My jump knees already hurt. So you have to be falling over. Right. So knees bend over your uh, toes, etc., right. etc. explode and blah, 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 blah. And we get it. So technically you're really sound. We go outside. I said, okay, guys, um, and let's say you're clearing eight feet. Okay, there's a puddle outside. It's three inches deep, seven feet. Yep. Will you jump it? And you, and you will go, yeah, well, yeah, come on, you know, three inches. And you're already you're looking at what if I fail, even though it's right. subconscious, okay? And then I take you to the, round to the golf course, and there's two greenkeeper sheds, 12 feet off the ground, seven-foot gap. Will you jump it? Wow. Um, and yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah. and now <laughs> it is process versus outcome, yeah. isn't it? Because if we don't, yeah, the risk is, right, hard, is more, we're in, we're the in risk trouble. of failure is yeah. suddenly, and then absolutely. And then I say, right, we go to New York, there's two skyscrapers, 50 stories up, seven foot gap between the windows, jump it. It's and that's happening. what I do get people to jump <laughs> wow. the building. That's that analogy is so powerful, Dave. I mean, I'm. I'm, I mean, I'm a four foot jumper at best, but I want to go and have a crack. I want to go and have a crack now. <laughs> Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. That's right. Yeah, uh, I'm really confident that you're... uh, (laughs) Your 13-year-old um, girl analogy who's a golfer, 
and or the or the little you know the little five or six year old that hits the ball for the first time. I thought that was, I thought that's really interesting. And and to relate it back to to leadership as well, um, you know, this is a leadership and resilience podcast, and I'm just kind of connecting the dots here because it's interesting. I, I think over over the years of leading some leaders lose their passion for leading because oh, of great. the difficulties yeah. they, they face. And I was just reflecting, when you said that, I was just reflecting what it was like to march out of, you know, the Royal Military College back in the 90s. I'm really dating myself now. How excited I was to, to be yeah. heading to northwest Western Australia to be doing this, you know, for the, really for the first time. And, uh, you know, and that can be the same as uh, a soldier being promoted for the first time and all of those sorts of things, right? We've, we've all got similar experiences. Yeah. And, um, you know, after a while, after dealing with all of those issues around leadership and, and resilience and, and, and challenges in life, whether that's in the military or in, in corporate industry, how do you think uh, for those leaders or for those sports people that have, have lost their passion maybe, how do they regain that? A lot of people think that coaching, so I'll stick to coaching sure. and, and I would include coaching life and sure. all the rest of it. Coaching is, is a kind of fix, like I've got it now, you know, I've got the secret, right? And nothing can be further than the truth because everything's different and it, and it evolves. Now, there may be certain principles that are worth adhering to, like self-esteem, valuing, honesty, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the application and how you use them, you know, changes with individuals. So my question to the leader that's, that's struggling is, do you grow or do you lead? Now, lead can often mean pulling, like over the top, lads, you know, follow me. And, and you see coaches that are sometimes like that, but you often find that initiative and decision-making and taking responsibility sometimes suffers because all they got to do is to fall in. You know, is, is it easier to march in a platoon or is it more difficult to go and find your own yeah, way? Yeah. So are you growing people to find their own way? Or are you wanting a regimented, responsive unit that if I say, go and get them, they go and get them? Yeah. And, 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 and I would rather have somebody that says to me, do we need to go and get them? And I said, well, yeah, I think we do. We, we, we notice mm. that. Okay. And then they will come back to me and say, right, leave it to me. We'll find the way we will find so each way. person's completely different confidence? each each individual is going to be different yes. and you can't prescribe one set of examples that would that would explain how to no. bring someone back to have to find that passion whether it be for sport or for leadership yeah i'm dealing with three probably four goal kickers mm. at the moment principal kickers who are big you know and and i talk to them right. differently uh, when I'm close up, you know, I don't, I keep out of earshot of each other. Not that I'm saying anything I don't want the others to hear, but <laughs> Harvey Pennock was an, an incredible golf coach and coached golf from a wheelchair because sadly he had a very debilitating disease and it, essentially it killed him in the end. But he used, he was the ultimate manager of learning. And he said, 
I never teach two pros within earshot of mm. each other. Because if I'm saying to you, Brahm, yes. right, okay, I want you to make sure that you really stretch that left elbow, okay? And Trent, you overhear that, you will go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a point. Stretch, <laughs> you see? And then I get to you, and, and, and I say, right, well, that's good. You got the elbow. That's really good. Okay. Now let's just try and make sure that your weight is on your back heel. And then, Brahm, you hear that and you think, oh, shit. Yeah, that's a point. Back heel. By then, you're both going to mentally explode mm. because you're taking stuff that means nothing right. to you. But you hear it. Whereas I would go up to you very quietly and I would say to you, Trent, right, you've got to really make sure the ball the back of your right yeah. heel, I need you to push that into the ground. And it'd be like a not a little more than a whisper. And then I say, right, play the shot doing that. How did that feel like? Did you feel that? And you go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm moving you along. So do you, do you use cues as a, as a sort of like a yes. secret? Yeah, because I've noticed when I'm doing Absolutely. Olympic lifting that there's certain cues that a coach will bring up to me and say, hey, you need faster elbows here or you need to – your feet need to be need to yeah. move quicker, or and and if I remember that while I'm lifting, like for instance, I know that if I can, if I can power clean a hundred kilo to my chest, I know I can get it above my head in a push jerk. The problem is getting it yeah. to my chest, yeah. and the only way it gets to my chest is if I say just before the lift, I go fast elbows, fast elbows, fast elbows, because that's the that's the piece. So that gets you. That's right. the piece that's that's yeah. the piece that I'm yeah. having problems with. Whereas. If Trent has fast you, elbows, you, you then know, he might need something else like um, exactly. catch in the bottom position or, or yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And, and the other thing is that really good coaches, and I would put Harvey Pennick in that, when you give somebody a conscious thing to do, subconsciously they do four or five right. other things. Now, if I give you an example, all right, and this is actually quite amusing. So I was working with Johnny Wilkinson. It was well after Right, this podcast is right, done. That's it. We're done here. Walking right. away. We've talked. We Thank warned you. Thank you very much, you. everybody. We're out right, of if here. If we warned you, no Johnny Wilkinson stories on this podcast. <laughs> Ever. Okay. But what was good about it? He was, it was when he was playing with Too Long with Matt Gitter. Okay, all right. All okay. right. So now I've, I've at least gone a, gone a little bit. And, and, and I will tell you that the, one of the, the successful, the, 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 it was probably one of the most successful back partnerships was having Wilkinson and Gitto in the same back good looking good looking back line too just quietly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Dan Carter there and you've got the trio okay yeah and, and 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 so I said so I'm actually thinking and this was like the two mornings before mm. the game so I'm actually thinking so what do I do with him do I you know and, and then it just dawned on me so all he's got to do is to kick it lower if he kicks it lower he rolls his mm. quad so what we did is we went to the goalposts and we went about five yards away and we kicked under the crossbar. Now, the irony of it is that the other end of the pitch where the public were, they were watching mm. us kick. There was Johnny Wilkinson right in front of the post, couldn't get it over. Just could not get it over because we were kicking under the crossbar. So often, you, so your fast elbows believe it or not, will have done a lot of, you'll do a lot of other right. stuff as well as the fast elbows. But the conscious change, the red thoughts are the elbows. Right. Everything else is a green yeah. thought. 
So if I'm saying to Wilco, right, get it under the Wilco. bar, that is a conditioned learning. I put a condition on it and you learn down. implicitly. He called him, he called him Wilco. Much, much yeah, I know, they're good friends. Yeah, they're sorry, yeah. Friends. That, that kick, that one yeah. kick. I know, sadly. Um, just a shout out to Dan <laughs> Carter. You're everything I ever wanted to be. I hate you. Um, righto, so... <laughs> So is it is it true then from a coaching perspective, and that's enough talking about Johnny Wilkinson and that Dan Carter, um, <laughs> are, are some people not teachable, Dave, or do you have to teach people to be no. teachable when it comes to coaching? Um, I think if they let me by answering questions sensibly, mm. you know, um, and, and I say, well, how did that feel? Okay, so do describe that to me, and I can work in that map of their map of reality, then anybody can right. learn. You know, if I can teach Rob Andrew at the age of 30, when, you know, old dogs, new tricks, and all the rest of it, okay, and, and James O'Connor's 30 when I started with him. You know, I was only start, I've only been working with James for two mm. years now, and we've completely changed his mentality, the way he goes about it, the control, the calmingness, the playing within himself and the goal kicking in particular so that he can practice. So we do a lot and lot of literally 25% effort, yeah. but absolute precision. Is, is failure important? We talked about resilience as being able to bounce back from a failure to a, a natural state and then do it again. Is failure important? Well, I think... Uh, again, I don't use failure, but there's certainly going to be times when you don't match your intention, right. i.e. you've missed the kick. And now the question is, and this is, this is a the really important part of the skill of language. A lot of coaches will jump up and say, you've messed up. Now sort yourself out, implying that in standards, you're down here, get back right. up there. And actually, it's, that's totally wrong. What it should be is... Okay, if you had that again, what do you need to do differently? Mm. Now, it's not emotive. There's no value attached to that statement, no. is it? Okay, so you hit the ball. Okay, you wanted to go over the post. Okay, it went past the left-hand post. So what do we need to do that's mm. different? Now, already there's a learner that's... Uh, I mean, I know he wanted it to go in the post. He wanted to go in the post. And now I'm trying to get him to work out what he needs to do differently. Not, oh, I buggered that up. Now I'm going to have to sort myself mm. out. And that's the kind of the, the, if you like, the mob rule of coaching that just screams and shouts at yeah. people. It's, it seems like, uh, you know, parenting is, you know, a big, long 18, 20, you know, lifetime years worth of coaching that's required. And there's probably a lot of parenting lessons in this in this yeah. conversation as well, because uh, you know, I, I think, I think we're all um, uh, guilty from time to time of not being not being the best coach we could be as a as a parent or best leader that we can be, um, you know, in a, in an organisation and uh, yeah. and that use of language, and really having empathy for your children or for your team is is fantastic. That's my big takeaway from what you've said today, Dave. The, 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 the language though, if I just, because I, I, you're really, this is my biggest hobby horse. I listen to language, listen to the language of coaches. I close my eyes. You listen to people in the changing room of the under 12s or whatever else. No drop passes. Don't you dare right. miss a tackle. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
all deletions. Yeah. And if I ask you, both of you, okay, what guys, right, from now until the end of this podcast, you will not think of the green elephant. <laughs> and that's the dumbest thing I could say because you have to remember what not to yeah. think of. And therefore, you're thinking about it. So rather than actually, and we know the brain does not work on deletions. And if you just remember that, the brain does not work on deletions. I don't want you to do that. Well, how do I not do something? Now think about it, because there's a void there. If you say, I'd rather you did this, then I can displace it and put another behavior. So if you're trying to correct somebody, rather than go, don't yeah. do that. Now try this. Go, right, okay, hang on. Instead of that, I'd like you to do this a bit, a bit you know, and then, and then do something different. And then, particularly with young kids, when they do something different. I mean, I tell a story which actually was nearly, it's nearly true, but it, 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 I embellished it. So when I've I never had this, someone come on and say, I um, tell a story that was nearly true. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I'm being honest with so you. Good. See. And, and it, it, so the, um, dad has just over the weekend painted this wall. You know, he doesn't like painting it, but immaculate wall, okay. And little Susie comes home and she's just done finger painting in art. And she's so keen to show her mum and dad what she's done. So she gets some finger paint. She got some finger paints. And she's looking around oh, and New looks wall. at this lovely pristine wall and off she goes. Now, I say to her, remembering the brain doesn't work on deletions. Yeah. Your, your reaction should be, oh, pick her up, put her in front of some paper, put her hands on the paper, move it. Wow, how good is yeah. that? And totally ignore the, the montage. It's true. It's true. Completely it's, it's true. It's not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> it's true. But, it, but at least, I know that's an extreme, but at least you kind of see where it's coming no, from. No, 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 no. It's true. And, I, you know, I saw this. I stumbled across this with my own son, Dave, where my youngest son doesn't do negative feedback at all. So, and, But also, more than that, if I say to him, oh, you should be really proud of yourself for the effort that you put in in the cross-country. That doesn't mean as much oh, – sorry, that means more than me saying, oh, I'm proud of you. So if I say, oh, I'm really proud of you yeah. for that, yeah. then, he, then he's like, oh, really? But if I say to him, wow, you should be really proud of yourself, that's completely different because then his face is com- it's just beaming when I say that. So I know I've discovered something. I'm just not sure what the hell it is. But I'll just help you one stage further. If you say you're proud of him, if you if you want the behaviour repeated, mm. you have to say, "Wow, that was good," and yeah. why? So really great the effort you put in mm. today. I saw you coming up the hill. Mm. A lot of other kids were walking, but you kept on mm. running. Gee, I am really. Yeah, you did proud so good. Most of them were walking, and you're on your hands and knees, just making it so <laughs> yeah. much harder for yourself. Well done. <laughs> legend that's my son yeah mums and dads that kid coming last i'm sorry andrew if you're now 40 and listening to this um that's why you're in therapy yeah Mm. i'm doing the best i can with what i got mate yeah i love it uh that's um that's fantastic hey um if i can ask um probably one one final question for myself uh dave 
you know, I understand that you've got a, a behaviour, a behavioural model for coaching. Um, in maybe uh, fifty or hundred words or less, can you uh, tell us about that? And maybe for for future future study for those who are listening, where they might be able to find out about that. Yeah, yeah. I've written this book called The Pressure Principle, and there is a whole thing on behaviour coaching. And behaviour coaching comes from matching the behaviour. It's a do it crudely with a team sure. environment. What is the behavior on a Saturday in the mm. game? And what is the behavior in training? And if they don't match, then there is, then the, the training isn't, isn't preparing the kids. Now, that doesn't mean to say that if you had a rugby team and they're all beating hell out of each other on a Saturday, you have to do that on the, you've got to condition it, but you should still be looking at the components of that behavior. Is it unpredictable? Yes. Well, in that case, why do you have everybody in a straight line? That's the yeah. question, right? Is it chaotic? Okay. So why do you have people ordered in groups of four all running around these cones? Okay. I, I, I remember a situation a long, long time ago when I was kind of involved in Bath rugby and Bath rugby at the time was pretty dominant uh, um, of, of English rugby and we won the league and the cup and so on and so forth. And I remember we played against Benetton, which was an Italian side, and, and it was, it, it, Italy wasn't part of the Six Nations then. So they had some, they had some good players, had quite a few Aussies that would come over and, and play in, in Italy. And the guy who was coaching them was a guy called Villepreux. And he, he's a Frenchman, very outspoken, a real maverick, but a genius, way, way ahead of his time. And I don't know if you remember uh, Barry Honan, did a, a drills and skills for rugby. And it's a book of all sorts of running drills and you run, and it, it, everybody was doing the Auckland grid. I don't know if you've seen it. They do it in rugby league, a version of it and so on. So backwards and forwards. So with, Bath are doing the warm up, and they look immaculate. And it was a really horrible, wet, stinking, muddy day, okay? And we were doing all this thing and people go, yeah, 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 and catching the ball and whoa, 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 and the crowd were loving it and so on. Benetton just went some T-shirts on and shorts, went down and played again a tig and pass, semi-attacking, total bloody chaos. Looked like kids playing in the mud. Okay? So at the end of the warm-up, they all come back in. Half done. We're 24 points well. down. We haven't seen the bloody <laughs> ball yet. So they were already playing. So they didn't do something that was unrelated. Yeah. They were doing something that involved decision-making. It involved a slippery, muddy yeah. ball. It involved mistakes. So mm. they were doing... We were doing something that was totally irrelevant. We were doing... Training. Almost. If you like, rugby aerobics yeah, right. might as well. Yeah, yeah. And yet we were both going into a, an, an environment that was dynamic, unpredictable, mistake-littered, slippery, horrible conditions. Who was going to play yeah. better? the team that had played 15 minutes of it already, yeah. not the team that had done something that was a totally different right. behaviour. So there was no behaviour yeah. match. It comes back to that comment I said before about training as you fight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and do absolutely. we really train yeah. as we fight? Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. I think you, you, in a physical environment, you need to be careful, but there are certain components you can get very, very close to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hence, you look at rugby union, for example, a lot of guys will do tackling, but they'll have pads on, 
mm. you know, so they don't get injured in training because that's because sure. the, the the injury rate is can be quite yeah. attritional. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. It's just fascinating talking to you, Dave, because you know you've got a wealth of experience from from high performance coaching, from understanding what works and what what doesn't work. Resilience obviously is something that you know intimately through your through your sporting teams that you've worked with. Um, I think there's a lot of carryover that we can take from from your you know sporting lessons into our into our own lives to be more resilient and i think if if anything today i'm not sure about yourself trent but what i've learned listening to you today is that i need to i need to look at myself more and where i am at the age i'm at as well and start to compare myself to myself and make sure that i'm i hate saying this but i love it as well yeah be better than i was yesterday or by by virtue of what i'm putting myself through can i just give you something that will help you do i'd love it all right this is where people come unstuck so they say right okay i want you to um let's just say give me a strength we're going to do fit strength fitness and whatever just two things all right so give me your give me a a rating of your cv at the moment right now cv as in how how fit are you heart and lungs from where i've from just uh, compared to no right now just give me a give me a rating now oh i'd say i'm 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 at around 60 percent of what i could be 60%. 60%. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, then. And, and, and what about you, Trent? I'm much lower. If he's 60, I'm running you at about what? 30. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you and, I, you and I have trained against each other recently. Yeah. And I towed ta- you up, and you're worried about that. But that's... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Let me just say, both of you are wrong. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. okay. Because, okay, because if, if you all improve... The 60% very quickly will get to 90%. Mm. And then the 90%, I said, right, okay, so you keep going. I'll be another, I'll be 100%. So does that mean there's no more improvement in mm. you? So the out of is a ceiling. Now, God, you've you taught said, us nothing. Said, <laughs> we did, we not haven't listened to anything you've said, have we? <laughs> <laughs> but but, but you, 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 Trent, for example, you said, you know, you're, you're three, four out of whatever, yeah. it's 30%. So that's actually yeah. three out of 10. Well, that, so what you're really telling me is I'm really unfit. That's what you. Re- that's the I'm real really, message. I'm really broken. So after I will now years. give you a. Yeah, that's it. So I'm now going to give you both a score. Okay. And your score, Bram, is ten, and your score, Trent, is ten, and it's not out of anything because in a month's time, the question will be, based on ten four weeks ago, where are you now? I like it. And then you're going to say, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, probably about 13. I say, good, right. So yeah, that's your baseline. And you say, right, okay, I'm 14. Good. And it's not, a, and it's not out of anything. You're just adding to it. Ooh, I like no, this. Exactly. So then I say to you, Trent, right, okay, 14. Okay, so what have you done so far? Well, I've done this, this, this. So how are we going to improve on 14? Yeah. So we've lost 10. 10's disappeared. You're not interested in 10 anymore. It's 14. Wow. And that's the whole process of, of the way that I try and operate. It's good where you are, but it can be better. And let's work out how we can do it. I've got to ask you a throwaway. It's, it's brought me to this point. And I know you hate these sort of questions, Dave, but mot- motivation or consistency, which, one's, which, one, which one is going to be more powerful? I think you need to be motivated to be consistent. Mm, not what I was looking for. <laughs> I know, I know you were looking for one foot or one or the other, but it, I, I think the two interlinked. Right. If you look at principles of pressure, yeah. 
and I've written, I've written a book and, 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 and I've put it in eight chapters. And I spend a lot of time trying to explain to people how the chapters fit together. Yeah. Because most people want things in a linear relationship. Right. They want, all right, we do this first, and then we do this, and then we do this, yeah. and then we do this. The human brain doesn't work like no. that. The human brain is a big glob of spaghetti. And messiness. All intertwined. And, and, and language is the source. Without the language, we're stuffed. And then I deal with things like anxiety, managing learning, implicit and stuff. But language is the nugget. Right. The language is the oil that makes the engine work. And, and, and without people spending time on their language and understanding the impact of language, they will not be as, as effective as they can be. Got it. I think that's answered that question. And it's probably something we should have talked about a long time ago, Trent and mm. I, for our, for our business, you know, hindsight, leadership and resilience is that, you know, we've been saying for a while that consistency is the superpower. It's just, just, just turn up, but actually it's probably finding ways to, to maintain motivation and still a consistent application over time. I like it. Yeah. If you're not motivated, I don't think you can be consistent because mm. you'll drop off. That's true. Dave Alred, uh, MBE, PhD, um, any more Author. letters that I can think of? Um, mate, it's been amazing talking to you, and I, I hope that we can maintain the relationship moving forward. You're certainly within our uh, 150 of Dunbar's number. Um, but uh, just, a, just, just a throwback to uh, episode one for season seven. But, yeah, I want to thank you very much for the wis wisdom that you've brought to the Warrior You podcast today. I know Trent and I have gained a lot from it. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And I love the Thanks, questions. Dave. Thanks, Dave. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website, www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening.